This is the Baseball Never Sleeps podcast, a show by two students in the Big Ten bringing you interviews with the game's veterans, rising stars, coaches, writers, and broadcasters. I'm co-host Nick Lancioni, and with me as always is my partner Simon Farber. Here's Simon with more info on today's episode. Thanks, Nick. Today is Saturday, April 11th. This is part one of a double podcast drop. But first up, we have Oakland Athletics starting pitcher Chris Bassett. Chris really broke out in 2019. He had a 3.81 ERA and 25 starts for the first wildcard C days, and he's really established himself as a solid member of the Oakland five-man rotation after years of bouncing between the bigs and AAA. He filled us in on his breakout season, plus some of the wacky TV he's been watching and a lot more. All right, let's get to the show. Chris Bassett of the Oakland A's. Chris, thanks so much for joining us here to talk with us today on this afternoon. No problem. Chris, I got to ask, today would have been the first day of the Masters, but instead, obviously, with uh, everything happening, we are un- we unfortunately don't have that today. What are you going to be watching instead? Oh, uh, I like the Food Network currently. I think it's Guy's Grocery Games. I, I watch, <laughs> that, that's, that's what I'm really getting after right now is Guy's Grocery Games. Are you cooking yourself or anything like that or just watching on TV? I try to grill here and there, but for the most part, I just like watching those shows, and I'm like, man, those ingredients that you guys just got, I have no chance to cook anything remotely edible with that stuff, so good luck. All right, let's get to the baseball. In high school, at Genoa Area High School, you were a basketball player, and you had collegiate offers, but why did you decide to focus in on baseball specifically? Uh, I mean, I mean, realistically, I wanted to go D1, and I only had one offer, and that was uh, D1 offer, that is, and now it's for baseball, and I, I mean, I wanted, wanted to go D1 in something, so I've chose that. Taking a look at your senior year, you were putting up some really impressive numbers, and in one particular uh, start, you actually caught the eye of a D1 scout. Can you kind of tell us the background story of what happened there and how that ended up really changing your life? Yeah, uh, you don't really know who's watching. I, I know everyone gets told that, but um, I faced Toledo Star, and there was just one of the old coaches uh, that came there, and I threw, I think, a one-hitter versus them, and they were, I want to say, like two or three years out of a national championship, and I did really well that game, obviously, and that's what kind of put me on the radar for Akron because he was Akron's uh, one of Akron's assistant coaches then there, and that's kind of how Akron saw me was that game. So you mentioned you went to Akron University to pitch. You were actually a closer there throughout all three of your seasons, or at least a reliever. That's what correct. was the reasoning behind that? Uh, why did they put you in the bullpen as opposed to a starting pitcher? Oh, just when I came when I came in, um, they had a lot of starting depth, but they didn't have any like uh, bullpen arms. Um, so. I just happened to be the closer um, and kind of just went from there. I, don't, I, don't, I just did so well, I think, the first year or did well enough the first year. Like, well, we don't want to change anything. So it kind of just grew into that of just no reason to change the role if you're doing well kind of thing. So you weren't asking the coaches to move into a starting role? You were actually pretty comfortable there? I was comfortable there. I mean, looking back on it, I definitely wish I was a starter, but um, – I guess it kind of has saved me in the long run just because I think starting in college and then going and starting in pros, it's just just a lot of uh, so-called like miles or pitches on your arms. So I kind of dodged a lot of innings 
in college. So I kind of have them saved up for now, I guess. Going through those twists and turns and being a starter in high school, then transitioning to a closer, and then once again becoming a starter eventually in the pros, what can you tell us about that adjustment and what it was like? Um, for, for me, it, it was honestly pretty easy just because I feel like I haven't really tried to overcomplicate stuff. Um, I know I know a lot of people will look at one situation and then try to go to another situation and just do what kind of most humans do and just overthink the room kind of thing. And for me, it's just been, it's been more so just, I know baseball is one pitch at a time kind of thing, but I truly have like a simplistic mind when it comes to baseball with that aspect of just like, all right, just one pitch at a time. And I've always had the mindset of like, look, look, um, if you want me to close a game and to get seven, eight outs, I don't mind doing it. I just, it, it is what it is. So I, I think the, the transition, just having that mindset has been very easy to me. So from moving from college ball over to professional baseball, you were drafted in the 16th round of the 2011 MLB draft by the Chicago White Sox. We want to know what that draft day experience was like, and were you drafted as a starting pitcher or a relief pitcher? Did the scouts specify that when you were selected? Yeah, um, the scouts don't, didn't really tell me what they were drafting as just a pitcher in general, but um, draft day itself is just extremely hectic just because, I mean, my my family was super involved in it. I'm just excited, sitting by the phone, waiting. And I got a couple phone calls, and I got a, I got a phone call, like, in the ninth round. Then I got a phone call in the 12th round of teams saying they were going to take me, and then they happened not to take me. So not then it was like, holy crap, am I, am I going to get drafted at all kind of thing? And then eventually, obviously, I got drafted, like you said, by the White Sox in the 16th round, which was really cool. But, I mean, it was just – once you get drafted, you have all the so-called pros telling you what your ceiling is and all that. And I, I still remember, like, some of them are like, he's going to be a double-A, like, relief pitcher at best, blah, blah, blah. So it's it's fun to look back on just, like, what people thought of you 10 years ago, 10 years ago, so to speak. It sounds kind of cruel that the scouts would call in and say they're taking you and then just not select you. Is that just is that just part of the business? Yeah, it, unfortunately it is. It, it just It's a matter of uh pretty much a phone call and says hey we will give you x and x amount of dollars so to speak for say the ninth round um will you take this amount of money and if the answer is yes then obviously you you have a chance to get drafted in and if the answer is no then the likelihood of you getting drafted in is not obviously not that high but um why i didn't get drafted by the other teams i'm not sure but i guess that obviously all worked out in my in my favor what can you tell us about your experience with the White Sox? Because obviously you're currently with the Oakland A's, but what was that time like when you're with Chicago? Was there kind of, did it, did it end on a sour note with how things went with the trade or is that not how you look at it? How do you view things when looking at the past? I mean, I have nothing but love for the White Sox. The My old coaches and stuff from there, I mean, I still keep up with them. I still talk with them whenever I can. And it just, I mean, I, I, I have zero i mean baseball baseball is a business so i mean i have no problems with them trading me and trying to basically be the best moves they can for that team at that time so um yeah i would would definitely say i have no problems with the white Sox. i I absolutely love the coaches i I mean to be honest with you i hope one day i pass cross again and somehow i can like play for a couple of those guys again because i mean like i said i owe a lot to them just because of how much they've kind of done for my career Nick mentioned the trade 
the full information in 2014, uh, the offseason, you were traded to Oakland in the Jeff Samarja trade. You were also dealt with Josh Fegley and Marcus Semyon, fellow big leaguers. First off, how did you take this as a person being forced to move, you know, all the way across the country? Because that's like a four and a half hour plane flight. Yeah, it's it's definitely crazy, especially the first time you've gone through it, just because um, the White Sox were the only thing that I knew. So getting traded to a different team was, it was exciting, but it was also like extremely nerve wracking in the sense of you basically have to learn all new coaches and all new, just, I mean, you have to learn everything brand new again. So, I mean, it's, it's nerve wracking, but it's, it's pretty dang exciting the first time. Looking at this through my eyes, it's got to be pretty nice, though, making that move to sunny West California, whereas, you know, personally, Chicago can be pretty brutal with the weather. Yeah, uh, I'll say this, though. Chicago in the summer is pretty dang nice. Now, in the winter, it's a little, it's a little different story, but overall, Chicago <laughs> in the summer is pretty good. So I've been to the Oakland Coliseum before, and that fan base, they get a lot of flack for, you know, maybe not having the highest attendance, but it's certainly a unique and a loyal fan base. What were your first impressions in playing in that stadium and trying to pitch with the horns and the flags up in the outfield and just all that stuff going on? Yeah, it's it's definitely a different environment, to say the least. I mean, it's it's more of like a college atmosphere where, with, like you said, the horns and people chanting and stuff like that. It's not a normal baseball game, so... Uh, and then not only that, you're kind of playing in a football stadium. So, I mean, this, this, the stands can be packed with the most people in all of baseball. So when that happens, it's definitely a, a very hectic, crazy environment. Being in that Oakland A's jersey, you were surrounded by a couple of familiar faces, like Simon said, with Josh Fedley and Marcus Simeon. I have to imagine that's pretty comforting to be with guys that you're familiar with. And what can you tell us about those bonds that you have with both those guys? Yeah, I mean, obviously – um, Josh is now with the Cubs, but when we went over it together, it was obviously just a, uh, a friendly face, and we were both like we were all good friends. So that definitely helped the process out a lot. Um, now again, it's just me being the only pitcher in the group is still just I mean, like for the most part in baseball, pitchers hang out with pitchers and stuff like that. So you got to get acclimated with the pitchers and hang out with them, kind of thing. But overall, like you said, it. it going over with those two guys definitely helped a lot. And like I said, just hanging out with them in the very beginning stages. And basically all of us are hanging out with each other, just trying to get used to like a new environment. Chris, you spent parts of five seasons now in Oakland, but this last season, 2019 was really your breakout 25 starts and ERA under four. What specifically clicked for you in that, in those 25 starts? Uh, I, I think, I think it was it was more so just getting the opportunity to kind of prove that I can do it. I think in the past, I I kind of shown that I was able to do it, but I don't know if anyone really expected me to be able to do it over a, a full year. So, um, yeah, just I think getting the opportunity to kind of like showcase that I can actually prove to people that I can be a starter the whole entire year and have success was was a thing that got me last year to where I was at with the numbers and stuff like that, because I thought I could do it in the past with the starts and so in uh, numbers and all that, so to speak, but um, just wasn't given the opportunity. And like, like I said, last year was the first time I was able to do that. With a strong uh, season on, on the books, do you actually think certain catchers matter? I know certain veterans use a specific veteran catcher in each start, but where, where do you feel, uh, where do you fall on that stance? 
Yeah, I, I think having that relationship with the catcher is absolutely massive. I think there's a rhythm in baseball with hitting. There's a rhythm in baseball with pitching. And if you're if you're constantly having to shake off a catcher or constantly basically like second guessing each other, like he wants to do this, but I want to do that, it it it, it, it turns into kind of a battle within within the game of you and your catcher not being on the same page. And it's, it is tough to, to pitch at the big league level when you're not on the same page as your catcher. So I think the, definitely the relationship between the catcher and pitcher is a, a very understated thing within baseball. And I think that's kind of why you did, like you alluded to, why you have veteran pitchers kind of saying, hey, this guy's my catcher, just because that chemistry those two guys have is just it's, it's massive. Chris, not only did we do some digging with what you've done on the field in the past in your career, but we also looked into what you've done in the classroom. And I noticed you were a double minor in mechanical engineering and business communications. When you're on the mound, are there just numbers flying through your head like Zach Galifianakis in the hangover when he's in the casino? How are you applying this to baseball? Uh, like I said, my mind is so simplistic when it comes to baseball. I, 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 I honestly – just basically in life, I, I don't try to like overcomplicate stuff. And with the new analytic side of baseball, it's been it's been kind of the last I would say three four years. It's been kind of insane all the numbers that are getting thrown into baseball now. With with bullpens in between starts, we definitely are using numbers and spin access and and rotation and velocity and perceived velocity and all these just I mean number after number. And that's fun to kind of tinker with and have fun with. In between pitches, you throw a pitch and say, all right, what's that one at? What's All right, let me try to do this script. What's this one at? That that aspect's a lot of fun. Now, once I kind of go into a game, I basically shut off all numbers possible. And I think, all right, it's me versus the hitter, and here we go. I don't really try to like overcomplicate stuff. So we did look up. You kind of just shot down some of my sabermetric stuff that I was looking up. But I did notice uh, you only threw three sliders all season. Do you remember wh- why and where you used them throughout the year? I threw – the only one I remember was a home run. Uh, Javier Baez <laughs> Javier Baez hit a home run off of a slider, and that was the last slider I threw all year, and that was at Chicago. And – to this to this second, I still don't understand why I would throw that pitch to him, and it still drives <laughs> me crazy. But uh, why I kind of why I kind of um, stopped throwing it was, um, I mean, the numbers on it weren't good. When I say the numbers on it, I mean the the spin rotation and the the like velocity and all and all that just wasn't good. And then not only that, when I threw it, hitters were saying all oh, like this is a good pitch to hit. So. I said, you know what, why why am I throwing this? I have four other pitches I can throw. But, I mean, we're, we're trying to add that back in um, now, not trying to add the same slider back in. We're trying to kind of mess around with different grips and trying to add, trying to add new ones. So, uh, yeah, it's been fun. Um, but this, this whole break in the action is kind of hindering that, that progress I was making. So Simon and I, in the past couple of interviews, we've asked a couple of hitters who's been the toughest pitcher they've faced in baseball, and we were hoping they would say you, but unfortunately your name didn't come up. But uh, who would be the toughest hitter that you faced on the mound? Mike Trout. My game plays right into his game in, in the aspect of he is a really, really good low ball hitter. 
Like I, I could throw a sinker three inches off the ground, it seems like, and for some reason he can absolutely destroy it. So, um, yeah, me being a sinker ball pitcher, Mike Trout is easily the hardest guy for me to face. And it's, it's not even – I know Mike Trout is arguably one of the best hitters of all time, but it's not even – it's not even because it's Mike Trout, just like what his strength is compared to what my strength is, and they match up perfect for him. Okay, so I knew you were going to say that being a pitcher in the AL West. So we actually wrote the question specifically saying Mike Trout was not allowed, but we forgot to say that. So if you could give a okay. second answer, who would that be? Okay, the second one is for the exact same reasons I just said, but he is obviously an older guy, but uh, Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera. Oh, that's a good just, one. Uh, the guys that are really good at hitting sinkers, and there's not many of them in the big leagues, but guys that are really good at hitting sinkers give me trouble. And Miguel Cabrera is definitely one of those guys. I got to say, Miguel Cabrera has been very tough to watch being a White Sox fan. He's tortured Simon and I for many years. Yeah, I mean, just the fact of, like, this is no knock how old he is in the game and still how good he is. Like people last year were saying was they were saying how bad he was or like what his numbers were, or he's not living up to his contract. And then you, and then you kind of look at what his numbers were last year and you're like, well, wait a second. Like his numbers still last year were pretty dang good. And like two years ago, they were still really good. And then it just like, you can only do so much. I, I think he's again, him and Mike Trotter are one of the best hitters of all time. Yeah, this is something I've always wondered because, I mean, you can look at the numbers and the final stats on a season, and a guy like Albert Pujols comes to mind too where he's not quite that MVP guy anymore. But when you're on the mound, are you still looking at him like, yeah, I'm facing Miguel Cabrera, I need to be careful here? Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I, obviously he doesn't. they don't have the power. Pujols, he hit a lot of home runs last year, but, I mean, um, they don't have the power that they used to. But they're still so good of hitters where, like, They've seen this. They've done it. They've been in that situation that they just – they're three steps ahead of you in the aspect of they kind of know what you're thinking with before you're thinking it. So it's just it's, – it's fun to, to face those guys just because of – I know there's the so-called like veteran presence, but like those guys have just seen it all, done it all. That's just – it just – they're a whole different level than most people. Well, obviously you don't want to see Mike Trout a whole lot more, but all of us – we all want to see baseball this summer. MLB just put out a proposal on playing in Arizona for the full season. It was kind of a, it hasn't been confirmed or anything like that, but what are your thoughts on that quarantine idea of keeping players in isolation for a full season playing on spring training fields with no fans and whatnot? Uh, It it would be really hard to do. I don't know how they're going to do it logistically just because there's not a lot of baseball fields there. Um, People, I guess that are, not super in tune with baseball don't realize that everyone's not out in Arizona that there's half the teams in Florida so and then not only that half the half the fields in Arizona are are split between two different teams like when I, when I was with the White Sox the White Sox and Dodgers share a field so there's only seven eight eight complexes in Arizona and you're gonna put 30 teams there it doesn't make much sense unless you're gonna be playing kind of like one o'clock game and then seven o'clock games on the same exact field. So I think, I don't know. It sounds like a logistical nightmare, but um, I guess if there's a will, there's a way. So, I mean, we'll see, but I just don't see how that's going to be possible. Yeah. It's kind of disheartening because the news comes out and we're all like, yes, we might have an, uh, a chance here. And then 
kind of gets shot down because it really just isn't all that realistic. I mean, it's like I said, if there's a will, there's a way. I think I think people really want to get sports back, whether it be the NBA or the MLB or whatever it may be. I saw I saw a thing today that Dan, uh, Dana White is trying to buy an island. So he, yeah, host, yeah. <laughs> so he could host UFC events there. So I think there's definitely a a need and want for sports right now or something to do, something to watch. So I think all these leagues are kind of trying to basically not go crazy ideas, but they're trying to say, hey, what are our options here to basically get games to be played just to kind of, kind of help people out and then also help themselves out. Well, Chris, your 2019 season was really exciting to see. We're hoping to see you back on the field soon to keep your career rising in the right direction. Chris Bassett of the Oakland A's, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with us today. No problem. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Chris. All right, that was our episode with the Oakland A's. Chris Bassett, we had a really good time talking to him about the game through his eyes and where his career's going. Disclaimer, if you hear a piano there in the background of my recordings my dad is learning how to play the piano and it went through multiple walls to still catch on to the recording so just ignore that um but uh on part two we have another oakland day who's now in chicago cubs camp josh fegley coming on this show you're not going to want to miss that he shares some great insight on his past as mr indiana baseball and also his thoughts from up front being a catcher on the astros cheating scandal be sure to turn into episode two thanks again